0: Hello there and welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, joined by reporters Kalen Jones. Kalen, how are you today?
1: Doing good, Rob. How you doing?
0: Doing well. It's a beautiful, nice, clean Arizona day. Guys, how are you doing? Fabian Ardai, how's everything going, Fobs?
2: I didn't get paid $100,000 to be here, but I'm doing pretty well.
0: We're gonna we're gonna skate on by that comment, Max. How are you doing today?
3: Uh, I'm doing great. It looks like the Mariners are gonna keep the Vader Cup chase. So that's always good news.
0: Max is happy. Chris Cartman, our very own site publisher. How are you, Chris? I was paid
4: $100,000 to be here today. Well, so you're a little happier Super than Fabian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so this podcast is going to be almost entirely a men's basketball podcast about ASU basketball. Uh, with a little bit of football at the end, there is going to be a premium podcast um, with our thoughts about a complete breakdown of the ASU offense. Just two weeks away from spring practice, so uh, keep an eye out for that. That will be coming up later this evening as well. Guys, recent games for ASU. They had two games this past week. started Thursday in Eugene where they lost to Oregon 75-68. to the Ducks, led by Kenny Wooten, dominated in the paint. They won 38 to 14. The ASU one of the stats that I thought was most surprising in that game for ASU was ASU had zero fast break points in the entire game. Um, but another one of the biggest storylines, obviously, is senior guard Trey Holder had zero points on the night. He was 0 of 6 from the field. Uh, Shannon Evans had 25 points, but went just six of 15 from the field, three of 11 from three. Cody Justice had 12. Remy Martin had 15. Kamani had eight off the bench. And then for Oregon, Elijah Brown was very efficient. with uh, eight, He went 8-for-12 shooting with 19 points and 7 rebounds. Michael McIntosh had 16 points. Paul White had 11, and Peyton Pritchard had 9. And then, like I mentioned earlier, Kenny Wooten, he only had 6 points, but 4 big blocks It seemed like they were momentum blocks. What were some of you guys' major takeaways from this game?
2: Uh, I think a lot of it is sort of repeating what we said in recent weeks about Arizona State, where they get one or two guys going, but the third guy are their senior guards isn't able to get it going. Of course, Trey Holder going scoreless is, of course, incredibly notable. They have their second lowest overall scoring output of the season. I think it's something that we mentioned a lot is just Arizona State struggles when it has to play a deliberate game, when it has to work more of an offense instead of high-tempo, Free flowing. If they have to sit down and do a half court offense, make the most of each of their possessions against the zone, like Oregon's matchup zone, it's just going to present a bunch of problems. And they also had uh, just issues, just getting the ball in the spots where they needed to get it to in the zones. So they, it just it was a no flow to the game. Defensively, they had some issues and some lapses, and they had zero ability to get into the paint. Oregon's size absolutely dominated ASU from start to finish
3: and if you look at the rest of the box score I mean you see 25 from Shannon Evans 12 from Justice 15 from Martin even 8 from Lawrence and you didn't see Holder's uh, performance. You probably would have thought that ASU would have won this game. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, but obviously, Holder, I mean, only six shots, too. Uh, you know, it seemed to be just really dominated by the length and size of Oregon. And to Fabian's point, definitely the matchup zone that Oregon plays, they press a lot higher on the perimeter. And so that makes it difficult for ASU to either get a good look from outside or work the ball inside.
1: Yeah, no, and I, and to that point, I mean, you give credit to Dana Altman. I, th- I think the way that, you know, they really didn't allow ASU to, you know, activate any – transition offense like a lot of the time even when Oregon would score ASU was trying at least you know they were trying to push the ball up the court a lot of times Oregon's defense was just already back Um, again like the 38 to 14 advantage in the paint Um, you saw the the fact that Kenny Wooten dominated inside they really took advantage of the fact that ASU's bigs are still you know they're they're learning on the fly I think Ramel White is still growing into himself Uh, again when you don't have Trey Holder like Fabian just mentioned when one of the three don't show up it's costly for ASU so all the factors for an ASU loss, I think, appeared to happen outside of you know, um, you know, one of their other senior guards not playing well. So it was just a rough game.
4: Oregon had seven turnovers um, last game uh, when Oregon beat ASU the first time the ASU lost at home this season. Uh, Peyton Pritchard had one turnover. This game he had zero turnovers. Uh, ASU lost uh, at the free throw line, right? So if ASU doesn't take the ball away from opponents, doesn't get to the foul line. How much post-offense did we see from ASU in that game?
0: Yeah, Shannon Evans was about the only Sun Devil that got to the line with any frequency that night.
4: They, they almost never even had post-entry passes. I think they went like 10 minutes in the second half without a post-entry pass. How can you possibly be Oregon when Oregon dominates you in paint points, when Oregon doesn't turn the ball over, when Oregon prevents you from getting fast-break opportunities, and you have no inside-outside game to speak of. You literally have to just uh, fire up a bunch of threes and maybe make 40-some, 50% of your threes to have a chance um, to realistically win that game. And as Fabian said earlier, when at least one of your three senior guards isn't on, your chances just greatly diminish. ASU hasn't had almost any game... In the Pac-12, where all three of those guys have been firing all cylinders, mm-hmm. that's why they're underwater in uh, the Pac-12. And also, something that I t- touched on last week, I believe, ASU is now 1-8 in, eight in uh, games in the Pac-12 with four or more days to prepare, for opponents to prepare, or for ASU to prepare. What that shows you is that ASU is a team that you can really get a, a sense of what they're going to try to do to you and how you need to stop it and uh, ASU hasn't been able to really resolve opponent zones and didn't in this game either.
0: Yeah, and my biggest takeaway was kind of going off of what Kalen said. I thought Dana Altman and, and Oregon really had a phenomenal defensive plan, and they executed it pretty flawlessly. Zero fast-break points for ASU. When you, when Trey Holder's not scoring any points for a team that's labeled as Guard U as a nickname, it just seems like they're not going to be able to really scrap anything together and win any of those close games. Um, the next game, ASU played on Sunday against Oregon State. In Corvallis, Trey Holder kind of rebounded. He had 23 points on 7 of 15 shooting. He was the only ASU Sun Devil to have more than 15 points. Cody Justice had 12. Shannon Evans had 9, but they combined to go just 5 of 19 from the field. Uh, Romillo White had kind of a nice game, 9 points and 8 rebounds. But the points in the paint again. It was the big thing. It looked like for Oregon State, Oregon State won that battle 44 to 26 points. Drew Ubanks had 16 points and 8 rebounds. Trace Tinkle had 15 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists. All five starting Beavers had over 10 points. Um, it, it just looked like ASU really couldn't get anything together down low, especially. And then ASU was, or OSU led by as many as 15 with over eight minutes to go. But ASU came back to tie the game at 75 with 39 seconds. Then Ramella White uh, fouls Eubanks with uh, who makes two free throws and Cody Justice misses a, a what would be a game-winning three or a go-ahead three. What did you guys make of the way the end of the game was handled by ASU specifically?
2: Well, specifically, well, end of the game, it's just, it seems like a lot of the same issues that have plagued him in the past, just from what they're trying to do with the ball when they have the ball, not really having a real set design play you want to go to in those sort of situations, and also just personnel, who you have on the floor. Mickey Mitchell was on the floor and had the ball in his hands for a good chunk of that possession. I don't get why you have that when you have – Cody Justice, Shannon Evans, and Trey Holder on the floor, three premium ball handlers, all of which who can pull up and shoot, drive to the lane, draw a foul, or distribute the ball in a good spot. I don't know why you have Mickey Mitchell with the ball in his hands or really on the floor in that situation because he's not really a, a floor spacer in a situation where you need it. I think ASU's best late-game situation was that USC game when Trey Holder made the game winner. And that part of the reason why that was successful is because you had – great floor spacing and you had the ball in Troy Holder's hands.
4: That that Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like three or four passes that didn't actually get you to any better situation. It was three-man weave, essentially. And then you end up with a three that's like a difficult three. I just didn't... I don't understand why that is what you would be running in some sort of a set at the end of a game situation. Um, and that, that, me, that was the biggest takeaway. ASU is... Something like five and nine in games decided by single digits in, in, in the Pac 12 this year. Um, they've played in, in every game they've lost has, has been close, pretty much. And which is, you know, that's a good sign, I guess, that you're competitive, but it's a bad sign that you're competitive in that many games and you're on the wrong end of, of it. And there have been at least a handful of occasions where you didn't think that ASU really executed well in the final possessions, offense, defense, out of bounds, what have you. Uh, And and so I think there's um, ample evidence that there needs to be improvement made in that area.
3: Yeah, and that's something that maybe Ken Palm would attribute to luck, but if you were to really look through the ASU basketball's film, it's just a complete lack of an offensive game plan, whether it's throughout the course of the game or when it really matters most. I don't know how Mickey Mitchell three or four times a season, it always seems to be Mickey Mitchell, like Oregon State, UW, Uh, with the ball in the the final moments, and he's maybe, like, airballing a three or he's driving down the lane, which, you know, he's not the team's best three-point shooter, obviously, and and he's not one of the better, you know, more athletic guys to drive down the lane in those situations. The only time that ASU seemed to pull it off effectively was when Holder hit really a circus shot against USC after USC mistakenly went into uh, man defense. So
1: Yeah, and to that point, I mean, really, obviously, like, the game planning is – part of a significant issue but at the same time there's a lot of open shots like if if we're being real asu had a ton of open looks and it's happened throughout the season i think obviously you know at the end of the year when they were going 12 and 0 the guys were all the three guards were all shooting over 40 percent from the field those numbers have to significantly drop whether that's by game plan design or unfortunately if i'm being real like it's just a, a lack of you know skill i mean if we're being honest these guys aren't highly touted prospects so and they're not arguably, you know, that great of players. But um, and to that point, I mean, they just can't come through in big situations. I mean, it's been something that's been a flaw of them throughout the season. As Chris mentioned, five and nine in single-digit games in the Pac-12. Um, I mean, you, you again, you gotta look in the mirror. Shannon Evans went two of twelve in the game. Uh, Trey Holder had a pretty solid game. Cody Justice only went three of
2: nine. To that point, though, I think if you even if you don't have the talent, there's ways coaching-wise that you can overcome that. And I think. It goes down to Arizona State struggles in situations where it has to be deliberate and it has to be heady with a lot of its decisions. And part of the reason, as Chris highlighted on Devil Sanctuary board, that the, a lot of their shooting percentages are going down is because a lot of their shots, especially guys like Shannon Evans, where it happened again against Oregon State, just a pull up, five seconds of the shot clock, shot clock, a 30 footer that gets blocked. Like shots like that, you can't you can't have that when you're when each possession is so valued and the game is slowed down like that. And I think Arizona State needs to really start to realize that instead of trying to go turn into the skid. Uh, and as soon as they start to realize that and try to maybe be a bit more heady, a bit more conscious in some of those more deliberate situations, until that happens, Arizona State's going to be at a disadvantage when games are close like this.
4: Let me ask, now that we've kind of talked about these games, I think a, uh, a way to really hone in on ASU as a team, what do you guys think ASU does really well?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When it can get the opportunity I, I think to go, they can go on runs really well. Sorry. But that happens when when they can get out and open in space, yeah. Yeah, they're able to make it, it moves can, and they're able to ride momentum well. They're a yeah. a pretty much irrational confidence team that you yeah. rode a really well, really high confidence streak twelve straight wins to open the season.
4: Max, what do you think ASU does really well? Uh,
2: I think that question was brought on by
3: my puzzled face, definitely uh, trying to think about what ASU does really well. Uh, you know, Rob mentioned they're really great at getting on and runs, but, I mean, a lot of teams can get on runs if they're hot. I think in transition, when they force turnovers a little bit, uh, they're really not great at any one thing, and I think that that's kind of the reason that you poised the question, because, I mean, even if you, even if there's only a quick day turnaround, you you know, they catch other teams by surprise, I mean, it doesn't take a lot for Wayne Tinkle to know, hey, let's get my forwards going against ASU, and that was pretty yeah. much the difference. So, yeah.
1: again, like you guys just said, spurtability and irrational confidence. I mean, you get <laughs> I mean, seriously, these. I mean, they got they're two starting guards, are two senior guards who arguably are the best players on the team, Trey Holder and Shannon Evans. They're not even six feet. I mean, for them to you know have the confidence of, you know, all American player and yeah. believe that they are on that level and for Bobby Hurley to go up there and say, "Hey, I have NBA level caliber guards," you know, earlier in the <laughs> year. I mean, it's not I mean, it's laughable maybe, but that's the type of, you know, mindset that, you know, you kind of have to have when you're at that kind of disadvantage against people and that's something that, you know, can lead you to a 12-0 run but then cost you when you're, you know, trying to grind out through a conference season when you're playing teams twice a year. There have been times this
4: season after games when I think it's been clear to the audience that ASU's lacked the, uh, the uh, strategy or the uh, focus on the offensive end of the floor that you ask Hurley, um, do you like the, the quality of your team's shots? And he is almost incredulous when you ask him that question. And he's, and I love my guys and I love my shots. You know, but I don't, I don't think that they actually get you to what the real issue is, which is that they don't have enough high-quality looks at the basket when they are not also getting to the free throw line a lot, as they haven't been for the last two months, really. And um, so that, that, that almost is the type of thing that's going to lead to them having to take stock of just kind of where they are. And look, they're probably going to be a quite different team next year course right. when you lose your three seniors but i think being adaptive to w- what your personnel is and how you can have success with that personnel within a season and on a week-to-week basis is the that's the hallmark of a, a really good staff and a team that and, and a team that that knows how to find out how to win uh and that that we haven't seen that yet with bobby hurley at ASU. Right. we've seen more of we're going to throw the stuff at the wall that hasn't stuck at the wall so far. And I think that's like a little bit concerning as you like evaluate this team because it's three senior guards. And it's a it's a, and it's a guy who was an elite point guard who was coached by one of the best high school coaches ever and one of the best college coaches ever and played in the NBA for some years right. and now is in his mid 40s. Uh, You know, he's not really new to coaching. He's still learning
0: how to be the best coaches.
4: Okay, but the question is how much more growth and learning are you going to have? You have to be able to quickly pivot to understand how to give your team better opportunities to win basketball games. That hasn't happened this year, and I think that is why I asked the question of what they're really good at, and the really answers are not really that much.
2: And you're talking about adjusting personnel week to week. I think you've seen a little bit of that even – over the course of the season not to like assign blame to any particular player but you saw some of how arizona state played it didn't really change when they introduced mickey mitchell when they introduced kamani lawrence i think they still don't know fully the right matchup right rotation for how you want to use a guy like mickey mitchell how you want to use a guy like like Kamani lawrence like mickey mitchell will play 25 minutes one game three minutes the next game and you don't really know where he's gonna fit in and this is more than just starting lineups This is it's just how you use players and when you use players. Is Mickey Mitchell an important player, a starter, and someone you have on the floor in crunch time, or is he a guy who comes off the bench, plays three minutes, is an effort guy? Well, like, you
0: got to give Chris some credit because he said at the beginning of the year they needed to figure out how to use Kamani Lawrence pretty quickly if they wanted to uh, to use him to the best way possible.
4: Well, it's, it's not discernible. Sometimes you ride hot hands, right? But it's not discernible what type of matchups they're trying to Accomplish against what teams and why and how you do it. So it ends up being just kind of random as to whoever is on the floor and what combinations of players. And and you just can't really sense the rhyme or reason to it. And I think that's what Fabian's saying is a good point.
0: And so, I mean, your, your talk about Bobby is kind of a perfect segue just because I, I definitely want to mention he was fined $10,000 by the Pac-12 for, quote, inappropriate conduct toward the officiating crew as he walked toward an official uh, repeatedly voicing his displeasures with how the game was called. uh, That was at Oregon State after ASU lost. That's the second time he's been reprimanded this year, the first being after he spoke out about poor officiating during a controversial call on Mickey Mitchell at the end of ASU's loss on the road against Colorado. Um, He also repeated in a a post-game interview that day uh, to an an ASU student, "Um, I'm a terrible head coach right now. I'm a terrible head coach right now. I'm a terrible head coach right now. And then he tweeted yesterday, I'm having a fine day. So I just wanted to ask all of your guys' thoughts um, about w- what's been going on with uh, Bobby for the past couple days. Well, again,
4: I just would kind of like to spark this conversation by asking another open question, which is, if we see Bobby Hurley's antics being pretty consistent on a game-to-game basis with the officials and and seemingly being very unhappy with the way the games have been called that his team's playing and and yet his strategy on the bench hasn't changed vis-a-vis that result that he's getting therefore why is he not decided to adjust his strategy you see like maybe and this is and and that is that goes hand in hand with it not changing your team's approach and strategy if you are saying, geez, I'm yelling at these refs all the time. It's not actually going in my way because the very next game, I'm still upset with the way that the refs are calling it. Maybe you have to examine if your strategy is the right approach with the refs as opposed to doing something different and then seeing how they respond to that. And, and he hasn't changed really at all.
1: Yeah, Sports re- reflect a lot on who you are as a human being. So, for Chris to say that, just piggybacking off that, yeah. Like, for him not to be adaptive, for him not to be willing to change, even just from a personal standpoint, your emotions. And I think that's really who he is as not just a coach, but as a human being. Like, he's someone who rides a lot on emotion. These are players who ride a lot on emotion. And I'm not going to lie and say I know X's and O's like crazy, but when you have a motion set offense, and, again, like in the final moment, you're going back to that as your final play in crunch crunch time, that's questionable. So – it, it does become a question of whether or not he's going to take that next step, I believe, as a head coach.
2: And to his credit, he hasn't – he's only gotten one technical this year, and that was actually while his team was up like 20 points. So, uh, But, yeah, he needs to adjust some things. I think that's something that he mentioned, I think, in his first season, uh, was that he needs to work on developing relationships with these Pac-12 r- officials so that he can understand how his teams are going to be officiated and he can adjust to that. And then – it doesn't seem like he's done that two years later. Like He still doesn't seem to have that relationship, underst- like an unspoken agreement or understanding with uh, the officials that the majority of his peers already have. I mean, it's something that Chris wrote in
3: The Devil Sanctuary, and I think it touches on something that Fabian was talking about earlier with sort of the offensive tempo, is how hard is it to slow the game down when you have that, that sort of emotional presence On the sideline. Uh, I think that's a really good point to look at is that if your coach is always fired up and wanting to run in transition and always yelling at the refs, it's got to be hard to slow it down and take a really calculated approach at your offense.
4: The players are, they can't separate from that sort of energy and sentiment. You you just cannot have that. So they feel, even if it's not manifested verbally in what they say or how they act out on the court, um, this hard charging, mentality or approach disposition when you're dealing with college players is difficult to then get them to being methodically uh, attacking an, uh, an offense or how they handle their defensive rotations and and, and those types of things. And so all, all of it plays into the identity of who the program is and, and how that um, shows itself on the court. And that's why I think this conversation is important.
0: Mm-hmm. And then just, Briefly, before we wrap up our conversation about last weekend, we do have to talk about the predictions we each made uh, a week ago. Uh, uh, Chris, Kalen, Fabian, and Max predicted an ASU split on the weekend. I said, and I'll be honest, I said that ASU was going to sweep, and I said that I had been more confident about that than any prediction I had made this year. (laughs) says a lot. (laughs) We don't need your honesty. We can just play the tape. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, So... Uh, those were the predictions for uh, last week. This week, though, ASU is going up against Cal, undoubtedly the worst team in the Pac-12. They're 8-21, and 2-14 and in the Pac-12. That game is at 7 p.m. local time. Cal's riding a five-game losing streak. Um, ASU beat Cal 8173 at Haas Pavilion on January 20th. Chris, you and I were there, and it wasn't really as close uh, as the final score really reveals, but there were some uh, garbage time hoops at the end. Uh, but Marcus Lee had a pretty nice night. Uh, in that game had 23 points and 8 rebounds Darius McNeil had 16 points Um, this has to be a beatdown for ASU right they have to absolutely kill Cal right to to help out their morale and at least the people that are going to be deciding on where they're going to be seated
4: I don't think they need a beatdown they just need to win the game at the end of the day it's just one plot on a graph of your team but um, even though Cal only has two wins it did beat Stanford Mm mm-hmm and then it, That was the very beginning of the year, though. Okay, but... They still beat Stanford, you're right. Beat Stanford. ASU game wasn't a blowout or anything by right. any stretch. ASU hasn't really shown the ability to blow teams out in the Pac-12.
0: That kind of goes to my next question. Could they lose this game?
4: Well, they better not, because if they lose to Cal, Cal's RPI is in the low 200s. Right. They, that's a That's a 15, 20 point drop in your RPI. And now you're like,
0: and that's on, before Stanford.
4: Then. And now you're squarely on the bubble. Yeah, you, 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 yeah, you, that could be, that could seal you. Or if not, then you got to beat Stanford and you got to win a game or two in the Pac-12 tournament. They cannot lose to Cal.
0: And I think there's this false perception right now, though, that they can lose either or both of these games and still be fine if they win a game in the Pac-12 tournament. Do you agree with that, Chris?
4: They can lose to Stanford, beat Cal, and if they lose the first game of the Pac-12 tournament, then they're probably a bubble team, or they're close to a bubble team. They may probably in, but not a lock like they should be feeling at at this point in the season. Uh, If they um, win the Pac-12 tournament for opener, beat Stanford, I mean, beat Cal, lose to Stanford, then I think they're safely in. So... If you're ASU, you better be Cal, and you better win one of those other two games to feel good mm-hmm. about your NCAA tournament chances. And and, and guys, ASU started 12-0 and 0 <laughs> and was ranked third in the country.
2: Two wins over teams that are projected to be number one seeds as of today.
4: Yeah, so now now...
2: And they
0: have a chance they could also have the same conference record they had a season ago when they were... You know, everybody thought they were a much worse team. I think everybody in this room would agree that they were a much worse team last year. But oh, there's a chance that yes. ASU finished 7-11 and again two years in a row.
4: It probably won't happen, but yes. Now, right. the, the the thing that's that's for ASU fans is understandably extremely disappointing is you get so hyped up about the fact that you're 12-0 and and you've got a chance to be a really great seed in the tournament and everybody's going to be talking about you. And then you have a 500 or worse record in in the Pac-12, which is pretty much where we all expected ASU would be this season. We all kind of thought ASU would be somewhere in that 7-11 and to maybe 10-8 and kind of range. I don't think anybody really thought a lot better than that or a lot worse than that. So so the thing is is that this team is about what we anticipated in the Pac-12, but when you look at that through... The, the lens of what they were in the non-conference, that's got to be deeply disappointing to a lot of people, and understandably so, and lead to a lot of questions about how that actually occurred.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of uh, introspective looks at the program, probably from Arizona State fans, you know, heading into these last three weeks, knowing that your team has a chance to possibly be on the bubble if things continue to go the way they've been trending, and it seems like last week at, at times, even against Oregon State, which was an inferior opponent that they lost to. It seemed like times where Arizona State was almost listless in the first half, where it seemed this, they seemed disengaged, where earlier in the season, uh, Damon Stoudemire, the coach at Pacific, said that they looked like a team that was tired of losing, and now it it doesn't seem like they had that same edge that they had early in the season. But it, it's just a lot of introspective things, like the things that we mentioned earlier in this podcast when it comes to game planning, something like that, but even some of the things that we mentioned Arizona State's best at, the irrational confidence, it seems like, uh, not that they'll say it publicly, but it seems like at least it's somewhat wavering.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, for all of this that we're, we're saying about them, one, ASU loves drama. We've learned that from you know every single game that they've played in the Pac-12. And two, they are able, again, the rational confidence and belief, if they are able to muster that, I mean, the fact that you have three senior guards, the fact that you have Bobby Hurley as your head coach, I mean, it's not you know, out of, you know, the realm of possibility that they do end up catching fire just at the right time. There
4: have been they've been a great, a much better record in games where there's a short turnaround. Mm-hmm. So if by chance you win your first Pac-12 game and then other teams don't have as much time, even though they've already played you once or twice, which factors in to some could degree, that could help you. And maybe you can go on some run, especially in light of the fact that you have Cody Justice who thinks, you know he's probably one of the best players in the country (laughs) (laughs) and Shannon Evans thinks he's one of the best players in the country and Trey Holder plays like he has this massive chip on his shoulder. So you're right in the sense that they believe now the thing is, is that there's a disconnect between their belief and what they're actually capable of doing on a basketball court as a team.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well quickly they're going to play Stanford on Saturday at 1230 PM local time. It's going to be senior day for ASU. Uh, Stanford riding a three-game win streak. They just beat Cal and the Washington schools. They beat Washington, who's a pretty good team, by about 14 points. Um, they beat ASU on January 16th, 86-77. to In that game, Reed Travis had 18 points and 10 rebounds. Josh Sharma off the bench had 14 points and 7 points. Dorian Pickens was very good in that game. Is there a clear uh, a clear advantage for Stanford in this game, you think? Or do you guys think that, that
2: ASU has a, has a good chance to win this game? Uh, I think both can be true. I think Arizona State has, definitely has a chance yeah. to win this game. Just factor in the fact that they're at home. They play better when they're at home at Wells Fargo Arena. We mentioned that this is the team that thrives off emotion, and they have the emotion of Senior Day automatically installed to that game. And they have some taken advantage. They played uh, well in spurts in that Stanford game. Uh, Trey Holder, I think, had a really good game that 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 night uh, as well. but. Stanford's size is just too much in a lot of different ways for Arizona State. I think you're going to see a clear mismatch when it comes to points in the paint. Reed Travis is one of the best players in the Pac-12, and he makes a lot of bigs in the Pac-12 look silly. So I think he will be poised to do the same against Arizona State, but you can't allow a guy like Josh Sharma to have 14-7 off the bench. You can't allow the rest of their bigs to beat you. That you was have, actually, to, yeah. you that have was, to try to be able to seal off their bigs.
0: And when when ASU played Stanford, that was actually right. When Trey Holder started struggling, he actually went 3-14 of 14 from the field and had just nine points in that game. Yeah,
3: I mean, you say we say that they can't allow it to happen, but can they actually put that into practice? No, like – they, they, what they can control is whether they run their offense maybe transition points uh, the, the shots that they create but what they can't control is this, is the size difference. And so when it comes to actually having to stop Sharma and Reed Travis, even you know Michael Humphrey, their guards are six five uh, so to me I see them splitting this I, I just don't see them overcoming a size and a team that is just
4: more well coached. Stanford played Keziakpala a lot on Trey Holder in that game Um, either just straight up on the ball or they just switched and they left him on Mm -hmm. ball screens and Trey Holder had a really bad performance as a result of that he struggled with that length I, I think that Trey Holder we just saw you know in games where he doesn't score well or or do get really uh, into the game. ASU tends to not do as well, so that's something I'm I'm looking at as a, as a factor of how ASU adjusts to the way that it defended holder in that first game. Uh, I don't ASU doesn't have an answer for Stanford's interior play other than what I would say is they have to be smarter about not fouling. Because, you, you, like in that game, they had foul trouble. All those guys end up in uh, on the bench and not in a rhythm. Stanford's at the free throw line. Oscar
0: De Silva shot 12 free throws. Yeah,
4: they're living at the free throw line. That can't happen. They have to be a lot uh, smarter with not having fouls, especially early. Don't get the team in the bonus. Give yourself a chance to get into a better rhythm in the game.
0: So what do you guys think predictions for this weekend? Kalen, you want to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, they'll probably split. Um, I, I think they're going to pretty comfortably win over Cal but it's going to be a really tough grind for them they've beaten Stanford each of the past two years at home but I, I'd like you guys already mentioned like I, I don't know if they have an answer inside
2: yeah it's a, Stanford's just a bad matchup for them and I think that I think Stanford's honestly a better team and it had they had not had injury problems earlier in the season they probably would be an NCAA tournament team uh, so I would go split with a win over Cal and a loss to Stanford
3: yeah, I'll agree with that, Fabian. I'll take the same thing. I mean, we—how many times have we seen this movie before uh, to pick against what's going to happen, which is which is likely they lose to uh, a team that's more well coached and just it has a size
0: advantage. Uh, you know, would would not be smart at this point. And to me, Max, I think that's the smartest thing. Is just that th- I think there's a clear mismatch down low, and I think that's why Stanford's going to win that game. I think ASU does beat Cal, as you and Fabian and Caitlin said. I think they lose to Stanford.
4: I'm going to be the one person this is ASU gets a sweep I, I guess um don't definitely by no stretch feel strongly about it not but, like me last week well no not like you last week uh I, I just um you know teams do tend to play better at home and and opponents struggle on the road you have the senior day factor which kind of you know I don't know if that how much that matters but probably some and um so I'm gonna go with the split remember go with the sweep
0: Okay, so quickly, I want to mention the RPI and Ken Palm and Bracket Matrix for ASU. So, ASU, they dropped in the RPI from 30 to 42 with their loss, with the, uh, the team's loss to Oregon State. After obviously losing to Oregon, the Sun Devils are tied for eighth in the Pac 12 at the moment. No eighth place Pac 12 team has made the NCAA tournament, but no team with an RPI this high has missed it. Chris, you tweeted earlier that something's got to give in this matchup or in this scenario. Um, Briefly, the RPI of the Pac-12 schools right now, Arizona at 17, USC at 27, ASU at 42, Washington at 50, UCLA at 54, and Utah at 57. But Chris, what do you think about that statement, that, that something's going to have to change here and there's going to be a, a, an unprecedented trend going?
4: Well, in 2008, Arizona won eight regular season Pac-12 games, then um, won it, uh, its first Pac-12 tournament game, then lost ended with a 9-11 and overall record in the Pac-12 games, including the Pac-12 tournament, had an RPI of 44. That team had a phenomenal uh, strength of schedule, uh, second in the country, and that's what enabled it to make the tournament as a 44 RPI. Now, the reason I say something's got to give is, um, you know, either ASU wins the next two games and basically removes all doubt, or ASU somehow ends up with eight wins And, you know, and maybe it beats um, Cal, loses to Stanford, loses in the first round. Maybe it still ends up with a 40-something RPI. It probably won't. It'll probably be over 50. But the point is that no Pac-12 team's ever had a 40-something RPI and not made it as an at-large. There's a potential for that to happen if ASU loses to Stanford uh, and uh, the first round of the Pac-12 tournament
0: beats Cal. And ASU is ranked 37 in... uh Ken Palm Rankings and and Bracket Matrix, ASU is currently uh, uh, averaging an 8.9 seed.
4: That's terrible. That's exactly not where you want to be. You don't want to eight, eight, – games are the worst. you got a toss-up game in the first one. Then you got to play a one seed. ASU almost would be better at, at having a, like an 11 seed at so, this point. It's like so- almost better to sneak in and get an 11 or making some crazy run and ending up with a six or a seven. I think six is like almost out of the question now maybe seven is like the best they could probably do.
0: So then in Chris, what scenario do you think, and this is for everybody, what scenario do you, scenario do you guys think the team has to, the, the team has to do well in, in the Pac-12 tournament to increase their seed uh, ahead of the NCAA tournament?
2: I mean, I think it's incredibly difficult, <laughs> if not almost impossible, for a team to win the Pac-12 tournament with how it's currently set up if you're playing on the first day. So I think Arizona State needs to basically survive and advance as long as it can. But with, well... It, it knows that it's probably not going to win the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, it would take a UConn like run to <sighs> win like four games in four days like that.
0: They don't have Kemba,
1: but they do have Trey Holder and they do have Shannon Evans and they have Cody Just. But I mean, at the same time, like like you guys just mentioned, I, I think it's just too tough of a, of a road when you look at you know them having to play four games in a row. The t- type of game that they want to play it doesn't is not advantageous to them.
4: Utah actually in the first in its first year in the Pac-12. Won four games straight and won the Pac-12 tournament, so there's a precedent for this. But ASU hasn't won four straight games in the Pac-12 in the entire time of Bobby Hurley being at ASU. So the odds that that's going to happen in one week in Vegas is extremely low. ASU is a shallow team, doesn't have a lot of bench depth, gets in foul trouble, on and on. Um, they just need to beat Cal and then win one of the one of their other two games. You know.
0: All right, Chris. Well, that's all or all everybody. That's all the time we have really for for talking about basketball, but um, Max, sorry, did you have a closing thought you wanted to say
3: uh, about? No, I I agree and plus talking about them winning four games in a row seems unlikely with rest in the turnaround, but also I mean these are four Pac-12 games we're talking about. They've only won 7 of 16 all season long, so that's not happening.
0: That's a good point. It's going to be it's going to be tough definitely for for the team to do very well in the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas uh, Max Fabian or Max and Kaylin, along with Chris are going to be at that tournament though, covering for sun Chris, let's shift to football for a second. You've interviewed all the ASU assistant coaches ahead of, uh, the 2018 season ahead of uh, spring practices. How are things setting up for ASU football right now?
4: Very interesting conversations. Um, what we're going to do, I think next week is piece together some of those interviews for a premium podcasts where we just kind of cherry pick some of the best elements of what we heard from some of these coaches. um, they're going to be we're going to be seeing a very different defense at ASU in 2018 and moving forward. And that's very clear from watching film of San Diego State, something that we're going to really be breaking down a lot more on the site next week also, or maybe at the, toward the end of this week. Uh, but um, in talking to uh, Danny Gonzalez, new coordinator, Tony White, Sean Nua, Antonio Pierce, you just get a really a sense of kind of what they're going to be defensively. And then we had a lot of conversation on the offensive side of the ball. How much different are they going to be with this transition to Rob Likens and uh, the staff that he's uh, built around him? I don't think they're going to be quite as different. What they're going to do, though, is they're going to be a little bit more uh, uh, narrowly focused on trying to excel in certain areas, as opposed to the breadth of their run game uh, that they had last year under Billy Napier. Um, but so look, look forward to uh, all the kind of interviews. And we're also uh, after this, we're going to record a couple of premium podcasts that have a lot to do with our analysis of the team's offense and defense, and especially the personnel as we kind of head into that transitional period. Really looking forward to ramping up our football coverage on the podcast again as we get ready for spring ball.
0: So just like Chris alluded to, keep an eye out for our premium podcast that will come out later this evening We complete breakdowns of the ASU offense and ASU defense. For reporters, Kalen Jones, Max Madden, Fabian Ardaya, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner. saying so long and thank you for tuning in.